Bloody Elbow presents the Level Change Podcast, a combat sports variety show that brings you analysis, fight breakdowns, and insightful discussion of MMA's biggest headlines. Here are your hosts, Steffi Haynes and Victor Rodriguez. Welcome back, and thank you for listening to episode 198 of the Level Change Podcast. I'm Steffi Haynes, and I'm joined, as always, by my amazing co-host, Victor Rodriguez. And today we'll be discussing the miracle of industry that is one championship, Kevin Holland's retirement pranks, Justin Gaethje's wisdom, Anthony Smith's health issues surrounding UFC 277, and more. But first... Victor, we're getting part four of the Figgy Moreno saga, and I am excited. I, I don't know how you feel, but I know how I, how I feel. I could probably watch these guys fight each other maybe another three or four times at this point, and I don't think I'd be too upset. It would maybe be nice to get someone else into the title picture, but I'm not mad at that, man. I'm excited for this. I'm really thrilled. Um, This has made my week exponentially better. I've got the best donuts in Philly sitting in my dining room. I got Miami Carnival this weekend. I'm going to look dashing for my mugshot so my mama can see me on TV, and that new Mario trailer just dropped, so I'm golden. (laughs) So the new Mario trailer does that look good? Is it gonna? Ha- is it? Gonna I I was immensely surprised by how interesting and how good it looks. I wish they'd spent more time promoting the announcement of Jack Black as Bowser than uh, Chris as uh, the worst Marvel Chris, as they call him, uh, playing Mario. It's looking good. It's looking fun. It's the same studio that makes the Minions movies and, and all that. It's Illumination Studios. They do an extraordinary job with some of their films. So uh, I'm I'm looking forward to it, man. Bad thing is, my son's a little upset now. He's got to wait until April. But, you know, them's the breaks. I, you know, he was going to see it anyway. So, you know, now he knows. Oh, Well, we are going to jump into our first news story. And as I mentioned, Justin Gaethje has quite a bit of wisdom in his very young body. And he spoke to MMA Mania's Drake Riggs in a recent recent interview. And Drake asked him about his teammate, Kamaru Usman, because, you know, a lot of people have been speculating at the massive impact that knockout could have had on him, etc. What it's going to mean for his future. Is he ever going to be the same? And Justin Gaethje just... Man, I, I was very surprised with his response, but it made a lot of sense to me. So let me read what he had to say when he was asked that. I mean, he's number one pound for pound. There's no giving him my advice. I'm there as a friend, as a teammate, and my job is to remind him that when we were kids, we got caught on our backs. Now we get caught on our chin. It's the same game. When we got caught on our back at six years old, it was just as devastating as getting caught on our chin now because we knew nothing then. That was our life. That was everything then. We've been devastated multiple times in our lives. You don't get to this spot with 100% success through your whole life. He's been pushed. He's been broken before. He's broken himself. So yeah, there's nothing to tell him other than just to remind him that we've been here. This is what we do. This is who we are. This is what we've done since day one. Now, Drake went on to ask him about his own future and where he sees a stopping point. And this is what he had to say. I have two or three hard fights left. 
adding that his bouts with Chandler and Ferguson only partially counted toward that total. And that is where I kind of draw the line at his wisdom, because those two fights, those were hellacious fights. Those are the kind of fights that definitely take time off of your career and possibly off of your your life expectancy itself, because that Chandler fight especially, good night, that was something... Man, I you know, at the time, I really, really enjoyed it. But when I think back on it, maybe I shouldn't have enjoyed it as much as I did for the simple fact that both of those guys ate so much punishment, big punishment. You got to wonder what their brains are going to look like 20 years down the road. That kind of is the blessing and the curse of this whole deal. As a fan, right, as, as a... As a um... As a spectator, it becomes difficult to like, yeah, you, you enjoy what you're watching, as you should. I mean, this is an exciting sport and there's a lot of exhilarating moments. But, you know, the guilt that happens afterwards, it's like, yeah, this this was rough, man. This was not something that I should uh, totally feel good about. And in, in when you take a step back. Right. Um, I really I, number one, I'm glad that he was humble enough to have that uh, opinion. I mean, he considers Kamara to be the pound for pound best and he feels that he has no, um, no, no place to, you know, give the guy any sort of, I don't say condescending, right. But any sort of like mentor position advice. Um, and that's not surprising either. Justin seems to be one of those guys who has been very, um, uh, very clear in, in, in not being arrogant, right? A big believer in that sort of hard work ethic and not not being too much of um, not thinking more of himself, perhaps, than he should. But you have to wonder how much that damage really has done over time, because despite going undefeated until he got to the UFC, like he made his debut against Michael and Mattis Johnson and blew the doors off him. Right. That was that was brilliant. Then he suffered those back to back losses, brutal losses against Eddie Alvarez and Dustin Poirier who use similar game plans to kill the body and then just attack the head. And he's even in some of his wins, he's taken some serious damage. Like you mentioned, he won the decision against Chandler, but man, that was, that was rough. And you kind of got to wonder, does this guy know when it is that he really is finally taking too much and he should probably step back. And I don't really know. I mean, if the juice is worth the squeeze financially and he feels that he's in a position to further pursue that glory, he's within reach of that belt and he can make it happen, then he's going to go for it, man. This is what competitive guys like him do every single time. It's what got him to the top at World Series of fighting and kept him there. And that's what's kept him around fighting elite dudes throughout the entirety of his time in the UFC. He's had a rougher schedule than most lightweights have had you know probably ever you know i mean i'm not saying he's he's had the number one toughest schedule but he's had a really tough one if you look at that trail of, of opponents that he's had behind him so um i i do wonder really if he is truly aware of how close the finish line is for him and if he's able to do one of those adjustments that would prevent him from being in the sort of situation that unfortunately someone like tony ferguson finds himself in yeah, indeed. You know, he had uh, another interview this week with Ariel Helwani, and he had a pretty practical take on a fight with Conor McGregor, too. And I'm going to reference two points in this interview. He's, he said, if he's on steroids, then give me steroids and let's go. I'm down with that. My health is my biggest factor. I have never taken a performance enhancing drug, and I do not want to fight people that are taking them. However, I don't even know how that works. I don't know how steroids work. I'm sure there's windows 
for it, and I'm sure it will eventually be fine. I'm sure he can come back and be clean. But the fact that he hasn't been drug tested tells me he's taking steroids, whether it's to heal his leg or not. And I, I like the, the part there at the beginning where he says, I'm sure there's windows and I'm sure it will eventually be fine. Mm-hmm. So, uh, that's that's the pragmatic part of him. And everybody's kind of looking at Conor McGregor right now under a very immense microscope because he hasn't been tested in over a year. So it's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of an easy assumption to jump to. Well, I mean, he hasn't been tested and he can't stop posting videos exactly. of himself looking brolic. You know, it's it's kind of you're inviting that sort of uh, scrutiny. Indeed. And so I I really like this grown up version of Gaethje. And, you know, look, he's not even saying anything that anyone else isn't already thinking. I mean, I'm sure he's seeing the chatter and he's hearing the uh, the the gossip. And if people that have. Uh, been around performance enhancement drugs are saying, hey, man, that kind of looks like that thing. <laughs> you know, it's like it's it's like when people talk about a celebrity or a, a particular public figure uh, being on coke. You know what I mean? Like, look, I've never used a thing. I've, I don't I'm not used to being around it, but I know people that have. And when they tell me, hey, that guy right there, he's talking or he's acting like he's on coke. I got to pay attention to that. I got to listen. At the very least, take that into consideration. So, um, you know, if, 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 if he's saying that and, and he's been around all sorts of people that um, in, in the sports world, I don't know, maybe he's heard something from someone that he trusts that has allowed him to make that assessment. Do I know for a fact that McGregor's on anything? I don't know. I mean, I don't really – I'm sure he's got some – maybe there is some sort of uh, type of steroid that for for uh, – medical purposes i'm sure you can get some sort of exemption for that but that doesn't exactly equate to you know let's not conflate that or confuse that with anabolic steroids for you know gaining muscle mass and all that stuff that's a very different thing altogether so that was maybe the one thing that i would have a bit of a problem with in in terms of what he said but uh i look if if he's fine on taking him on either way then fine you know it's okay but look they're not gonna they're not going to say, hey, this is going to be a special bout where everybody's able to do the all drug Olympic <laughs> sketch from Saturday Night Live and Kevin Nealon. You know, we're not doing that. If you're not familiar with that one, kids, go back and do your Googles. That was a good one. Indeed. Yeah, I miss when that show was funny. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, speaking of funny, well, this, this is a different kind of funny, not the honey, not the funny haha way, but more like the funny strange way. We've gotten updates in reference to the financial state of an organization you might be familiar with, One Championship, formerly known as One FC. The Singapore-based organization had accumulated a bunch of debt and losses that had been well frankly, not great. Uh, We had an article by John Nash in which an evaluation was made regarding their numbers for 2020. They had a showing of losses for $48 million that year. And it turns out that when you look at the losses for 2021, they're even further in the hole with losses that are in the triple well, not triple digits, triple millions, $111 million for 2021 alone, which puts them in the hole, 383 million total. Look, man, I'm gonna keep it real. I have no idea what the hell is going on here. And I want to make this clear because I might have I know I've said this before elsewhere, but I want to make sure that I get this on the record again. People like to make a lot of 
assumptions and accusations and really, frankly, irresponsible accusations as to what's going on with one championship and where they're getting their money. Now, generally, I think a lot of people still are under the spell of, of what happened with pride. They look at one championship, they look at these numbers and they assume that this must be some sort of criminal uh, front or something's got to do with organized crime. I don't have any evidence to support that. In fact, I don't believe that. Again, this is my personal opinion. I've seen no indication from the people that I've talked to, from the things I've looked at, from the reports I've, I've seen. I haven't really seen anything that could support that whole deal. And I do think it's not only irresponsible, I think it's intellectually lazy to look at an American company like Theranos that bilks investors and runs at losses constantly. Look at something like Twitter that bilks its investors and runs on losses constantly and then not be able to apply that same logic just because it's a fight organization somewhere in Asia. The conditions in Japan and the aughts is not the same as the conditions that we have now in Singapore. So I want to make sure that we get that caveat in there because I think it's kind of maybe somewhat uh, uh, complementary to the rest of what we're going to look at here and how these numbers are buttressed and how this something, all this, this entire frame and picture come together. They reported $56 million in marketing expenses and $50 million in administration and other expenses for the year. Now, look, man, um, marketing $56 million, well, where is that marketing exactly going? That's hard to tell, right? Because we've seen that they've tried to make inroads in the United States and it hasn't quite caught on the way that they'd wanted. They put on a show every once in a while. We had those, what, three or four shows last year and so far, I believe, two this year that have been aimed for the American audience primarily. Uh, what actually happens here? What is their revenue looking like? Well, the revenue isn't looking that great either because when you look at this, you know, Ticket revenue and 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 uh, in terms of how this went, it actually dropped. Twenty twenty had one hundred and five thousand. <laughs> Jesus Christ, dollars, American dollars, right? And then in twenty twenty one, it was eighty six thousand. You could probably say that the pandemic had a lot to do with that because, sure, they were doing closed shows and everything, and uh, Southeast Asia was handling the pandemic far differently than they're handling things now. They have had a few arena shows and they did have um, they have had mostly shows that have had limited audiences or very, um, very much just, you know, essential personnel in very large venues, which is a bit confusing because you've got to pay some sort of site fee unless they're being paid for a site uh, for an event fee. As some organizations, namely those that run events and casinos, that sort of deal might be something that's going on here. I'm not sure. But the reason I mention that is it shows very, very clearly that this is not an organization that is relying exclusively or even that heavily on ticket revenue. It seems that all of this has to do with their distribution in terms of their web and TV ad revenue and everything that comes with that. But it's really not looking good. And <laughs> Chatri Sidyatang, who is the head of One Championship, has been rather cagey about that. Anytime any bad news comes out, he's immediately out there to decline it, to deflect it, to to deny that anything is ever happening, despite all the evidence of the contrary, because these are records that have been filed that are easily obtainable online. I mean, none of this stuff has been backdoor information or the result of any sort of hack. This stuff is out there. This stuff is on wax. They have to report these numbers. So either they're fudging the numbers, which, you know, I don't really think you can get away with doing too much of that. Or I don't know, maybe, maybe the people that are saying, no, there's no trouble here, sir. Maybe those people are being a little less than truthful regarding how this goes. I'm not really 
sure how much longer they can keep doing this. They continue to gain investors. They continue to have their barter deals where they're able to uh, negotiate um, in lieu of revenue for certain considerations. How long does this ship stay afloat? How much more money, how many more people can you continue to bring in to make this happen? I want to also make one last thing clear. This is entirely separate from the mess that was the uh, story as far as the uh, Evolve Gym and their $300 plus million valuation for only having somewhere in the neighborhood of four to five gyms in Singapore, not any other country in the world but Singapore in the metro area. I don't know how you swing that when the UFC gyms are probably not making that kind of money. They've got dozens across the United States and around the world. So kind of hinky. So, Steph, I got to ask you, what do you make of this picture and how long does this sort of thing keep going? Well, I personally disagree with you. I think that there is some money laundering going on. And there's a few factors here that are important that you missed. And that is... They officially moved their operations to the Grand Cayman Islands. Now, for those of you that don't know, the Grand Cayman Islands don't require a reporting agency like ACRA, which they had been reporting to up until, you know, uh, this year. But now that may be the last report we ever get on their finances because the Grand Cayman Islands doesn't require that. That is where you go to hide money, to move money. That is the key thing here. That and the fact that we may never get another financial report on them. So then they can fudge the numbers if they even release any to us. But the numbers themselves that have been reported up to this point, I think an interesting part is that that barter system that you mentioned, they actually tried to count their bartering deals, their non monetary deals as part of their revenue. They tried to do that. It's listed right there in the ACRA report. So there's so many really shady things going on here that, you know, if it walks like a duck and it talks like a duck, nine times out of 10, it's going to be a damn duck. That 10th one is just the anomaly that maybe it's the shadow of a duck or something. A rock that looks like a duck. Somebody's toast that has the burn mark in the shape of a duck. But, you know, 99.9% of the time, it's a freaking duck. Uh, no, look, I, I agree that it doesn't look good. And these are the moves that usually less than honest uh, actors would, would play. But again... I I probably need to see a little more than that before I'm saying, you know, that there is something very definitive with it because that does get a bit hinky. But I, I don't disagree. Like, you know, you you are making good points and it does not look good, especially when you have your now your base of operations is in the Cayman Islands. You know, they had the the holdings that were registered, not even in Chachi's name, but as in fiance's name. Like there's, there's a lot of really weird moves. But I guess, you know, you, you don't have to be involved in um organized crime to move money in a funny way or in a, in a dishonest way. And uh, I'm not I, I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure because I don't have as complete a picture to be fully confident to say that one thing or another is happening with it. But holy shit, I just I'm so curious, like at what point did the investors shut off the spigot? And what is it going to take for this to be something where people have a level of accountability? And I do at least applaud the fact that they've made some strides in um, expanding some of their uh 
some of their visual uh, their their visibility by being more of a Muay Thai and kickboxing organization. I mean, not focusing exclusively on MMA has probably been the best thing they've done because now they've got grappling competitions. Like they they they've done something pretty smart with it. But how long can they keep that talent under their banner? I don't know. I really have no idea. Yeah, I'm just thinking that the spigot will stay on as long as money is being laundered. <laughs> Because mm. Spigot has been on now. I mean, this experiment, and I'm using that in quotes, has been going on for quite some time. One is, mm. uh, one's been around for, what, eight years now? I can't even remember. Yeah, I'm almost positive it's eight years. It could even be longer, but it's a long time to just keep taking loss after loss after loss. So, anyways... Uh, we are going to move on here to our next story. Now, this past week, Kevin Holland has probably been sitting back and just chuckling to himself with his big, I'm, re- I'm retiring, I've had a good run, I'm all done, blah, 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 blah. Guess what? This dude was never retiring. He's already been announced as the headliner for UFC Orlando, Fight Night Orlando, on December 3rd at the Amway Center, and he is taking on Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. So I think that that's a pretty damn good reward, that and probably a huge bump in his pay for taking on Hamza Chimaev and, and getting beat up the way that he did. This was smart. This was very smart management and or negotiating, whether it was by his management or him. you got to think that this is part and parcel, a, a bit of a reward for him for, for stepping up on, you know, 24 hours no, short notice and swapping opponents and, and doing the company a solid. And it's a, it's a rare thing to see them turn back around after probably rewarding him with his biggest payday ever. I mean, he said that I'm kind of digging it. I know everybody out there is probably tired of his shit, but I'm not, I find him entertaining. And I think it's funny the way that he's, he's uh, living in this moment. And what's even funnier is John Nash had made a tweet saying that Kevin Holland is nowhere near good enough for everybody to be worried about whether he's retired or not. Wow. And Kevin Holland replied to him. He said something to the effect. So I take it. You don't come to my free only fans. <laughs> he liked to pay to get his freak on. It was just really funny. So I, I don't know. I, I, I like Kevin Holland a lot. I like the adventures of Kevin Holland as well. Yeah, listen, I'm 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 happy that it, with whatever makes him happy because he's one of those dudes who's not under any circumstances a guy who's like totally shot or anything like that. Is he championship material? Is he a guy who can make it to the top? He can make a good run and get near the top. I don't know that he'd be able to hang with any of these uh these guys in the top 3. But I'd like to see him try. Like, I'm not mad at that. This is kind of like the Bobby Green Makachev thing. Like, I'd, I'd love to see it happen. I know that on paper it shouldn't be a thing, but he's entertaining and he's a great personality. And if he's getting paid, if he, in fact, did get a raise uh, for the shuffle that we saw in his last uh, – the, the event that he was last on, I would like to hope that it wasn't just a one-time bump. I'd like to hope that it was one of those deals where he got, hey, you know what? If he's smart enough and his management was sharp enough to say, look, I don't just want – to have uh, a, a, an increase or a raise for this person. 
I want to make sure that I get a nice contract that my next three or four fights get that. Like that would be interesting. That would be fun. I'd like to see that happen. And so um, I'm I'm curious if what what is what his contract looks like. But that's entirely up to him. He doesn't have to do that. But clearly the juice is worth the squeeze again. Right? <laughs> clearly whatever numbers they threw at him made enough sense for him to say, yeah, I'm back in the saddle. Let's go throw some leather. And and good for him. For sure. Absolutely. Well, we're going to move on from a relatively uh, feel-good story to one that's not exactly that um, fun, let's say. This one is absolutely not about smiles. And it's about former title challenger Anthony Smith, a man known as Lionheart, who is now scheduled to take on – well, actually, no, he didn't have a <laughs> – there wasn't an announcement. He recently fought uh, Magomed Ankalaev and unfortunately suffered a brutal injury where he fractured his ankle. So he had a conversation with MMAfighting.com, and they were talking about how his recovery throughout this whole deal was. And he just recently managed to get himself off the crutches, but he had a series of medical problems that were way more than the average fighter should have to deal with. And let me start you off with this, right? I'm just going to say what he noted. Quote, I don't even know if I've mentioned it too much, but the night before I went to Paris, I had a weird allergic reaction to some meds. It was pretty hairy there for a little while. It was a really bad anaphylactic reaction. I was losing my airway. I couldn't swallow. I had a tough time breathing. Kind of barely got to the hospital in time before things got too rough. Then after I got back from Paris, they found a blood clot in my leg. So I've been battling this blood clot for a while. It's a pretty big deal, and I didn't really know that. You don't really know about these kinds of issues when you're my age, when you're healthy and active. Now, I'm extremely versed in blood clots. You definitely don't want to be kicking off into your lungs or brain or your heart. Blood clots don't just go away overnight. It's a long ordeal, typically. Your body has to absorb it. That takes time, and the blood thinners can't really do anything on blood thinners. You can't take any shots to the head out of fear of brain bleeds. I can't even get massages because they don't want to dislodge it and send that son of a bitch straight to my lungs or something. That would be a problem. You just never know what can happen. So that sucks. That's kind of – I mean how sad is that? You know How sad is it that here's a guy who's been doing pretty much everything the right way, right? Coming out of relative obscurity and strike force, taking fight after fight after fight, making his way to the UFC, being the underdog in so many of these fights, coming out on top in a bunch of them, having some shocking come from behind victories. A guy who's got a rather admirable career if you look at it from the sense of here's a dude who probably didn't have the tools that most elite fighters would have and yet he's able to hang with some of these dudes and in some cases really win against opposition that realistically he shouldn't. But now he's sidelined due to this. And it's like the bad break with the ankle. That's sad enough. But now he's got this whole deal that's putting his career on hold indefinitely. And look, I would defer in terms of judgment to someone who's a little more, um, I guess, uh, a little more knowledgeable about medical matters, especially more complicated affairs such as blood clots. I'd rather defer to the authority of someone who... I don't know, maybe a former nurse who uh, who happens to have a podcast and who I could ask about this. But, I mean, what do you make of this situation, Steph? I mean, this this clearly is bad enough, and I don't doubt that he's um, – Correct in, in his uh, or the you know the assessment that, that relaying the assessment that his doctors have given him regarding his condition. What do you make about this whole deal, and do you think we can expect him to be back anytime soon? I don't think we see him anytime in the next six or eight months. That's for damn sure. Um, it's a very serious thing. No two ways about it. I man, 
Lord, anaphylactic reactions are nothing to mess around with. And I can say that from experience because I am allergic to exactly one thing, bee stings. And guess what happens? Yes, the my girl bee stings type reaction. That's what happens. I, I use an EpiPen, so I I can understand that as well. But finding a blood clot, not an easy thing to to just uh, take blood thinners or or whatever. You know that has to be monitored very carefully. He'll be on for a while because he's already stated that he's been battling it for a while. So that tells me that they're they're using medication, oral medication for this, or possibly shots because there is a shot that does the same thing. But I, it, it's going to take some time. And with it being in his leg, there's plenty of room for movement, especially for an athlete. So he, he definitely has to be very, very, very careful. Well, that that is that is unfortunate here. But uh, let's hope that Anthony gets better sooner than later and is able to uh, have that situation cleared up, not even so much for his fighting career, but at least for his own well-being and his personal life. I mean, I, I like the dude. Uh, I hope he sticks around long enough. Well, we're going to move on to someone who has found something of a fountain of youth, I guess you could call it, and that's Dana White, who recently showed off his uh, new uh, not-quite-dad-bod. He's, uh, he's super lean now. He's had a midsection that I don't think he's ever had in his entire life. And we talked about this recently where he was discussing his recent weight loss, his uh, doctor that gave him the, uh, the prediction that he was going to live 10.4 years or 12 or whatever the hell it is. I don't care. point is... He's lean. He's looking, frankly, rather amazing, especially for a man in his early 50s. Good for him, right? I'm not really going to make any uh, you know, cracks about that because anybody that does things to improve their health, as he stated he was doing, I applaud that because, look, you only got so much time. You want to make the most of it. What I do find interesting was the uh, statement that was made by Paulo Costa, who said it was his secret juice that managed to get him into shape. Now, look, Paulo Costa, we all know if you haven't been able to glean by now my opinion regarding him and his wit, it's not very high. I don't think he's a very smart guy or a very funny or engaging guy. But I got to hand it to a man recently. He's been getting pretty good. The secret juice gimmick, it's its its getting to be just as funny as the blonde Brunson gimmick, although it's not anywhere near as abstract, uh, Dadaist uh, art type thing. I like it. I think it's pretty fun. I think it's pretty interesting here. And um, I just I, – I, I do kind of – it is sort of a bad look to have a guy as jacked as Paolo continuing to make these jokes about secret juice and all this other stuff. But in this case, I think we can give him a pass. I mean, ethically, is there really anything wrong with this? Do you, do you really think that anyone should take any sort of umbrage to that? Oh, my God, no. Paolo is like my favorite <laughs> MMA Twitter account, bar none. He is hilarious accidentally hilarious intentionally hilarious he is very funny his comic timing is very good too he wants the his twitter followers to help him out with with a logo for a secret juice right yeah so well i mean the logo he's got is is nice enough you've seen it right yeah yeah but yeah it's him having a stroke while he's writing the word secret juice with an ugly marker right but the the point i'm making is is he puts out the call for them to help him with his logo and he gets impatient like 15 minutes later and says fuck all y'all i'll make it myself look i i know he supports bolsonaro and i'm i'm gonna put that off into another compartment because i feel like with mma you kind of have to compartmentalize with these guys and gals. So he gets that 
put into a little box and, and shoved aside. But if you just go off of his MMA Twitter, it's hilarious. He's funny, funny, funny. So the secret juice thing, keep going with it until it's run into the ground. Because right now I'm still finding it pr- pretty funny. Yeah. Okay. Not bad. I, I, I applaud that. That's uh that's, that's a pretty good mox. And yeah, I know. Look, yeah, he's, he's had some pretty, um, not great views. He's, he's got really uh, not great opinions, but, um, at least, at least this, he's handling it in a pretty funny way. And you know what? Uh, look, what a great opportunity to make that work. Dana's, uh, Dana's always someone that, that it's uh, good to do that and kind of get more visibility because of the space that he occupies. So that's, that's pretty cool. He has certainly embraced it and he learns quick too. So I feel like maybe with his, uh, constant, learning experience through social media maybe he might change his views on bolsonaro too you know nah, i'm not holding i'm, I'm not holding my, I'm breath, holding my breath i'm crossing my fingers doing the whole thing so we are going to go through our weekly picks recap and victor you you fell again oh, we boy. had mentioned it on monday but uh mookie and i picked exactly the same we picked Ilir latifi mike davis honey barcelos Randy Brown, Mackenzie Dern, and we also picked Patricio Pitbull. You picked Ilir Latifi, but you picked Borshev in, instead of Davis. You did pick Barcelos, but you picked Ronaldo instead of Brown. Mm-hmm. That's right. And uh, the rest the same. So you went three and three. Mookie and I went five and one. The updated standings. Mookie is 112, 66 and 3. I am 108, 70 and 3. You are 99, 79 and 3. We're getting there, man. We're getting there. Mm-hmm. We're getting somewhere. I don't know where that is, but we're getting somewhere. So we have another off UFC weekend. You have mentioned going to Miami. Tell me what's going on in Miami and what kind of outfits you have going. Miami Carnival. I'm going to be dressed like Cuban Pete. Deep cut for the ones that know. Uh, I'm gonna, after that, we got Juvere. We got a whole bunch of uh, dye and paint throwing and all that good stuff. And uh, it, it's it's going to be a ride, man. It's going to be a lot of staying awake and uh, maybe some drinking. I'm not entirely sure. It's going to be uh, it, it's going to be fun, man. Just a lot of music and a lot of jumping around. Okay, the the paint throwing is that going to be? Are you going to wear one of your white outfits for that? No, no, no. So they give you a tank top when you sign up for the event. So I got to pick that up. And uh, that's right after landing. I got to go straight there. And um, yeah, basically what the, the advice I was given was bring some clothes that you don't want to keep. So that that's that's the way that's going to go. I, I, I intend to be uh, not um, not at my squeakiest as Zesty is clean. All right. Well, folks, that is going to wrap up the show. Do me a favor. Follow Victor's social media. He has an account on Twitter. That's Vic M. Rodriguez. And boy, he's an an opinionated guy and a funny guy. So you should definitely check him out there. And on his Instagram, that's Victor Sinister Rodriguez. He's going to be out there in the land of beautiful people. Barbies and Ken's. Of all flavors, it's going to be at Miami Carnival. So make sure you are following that Instagram again, Victor Sinister Rodriguez. Do me a favor. Also follow Mookie on Twitter. That's Mookie Alexander. He is the managing editor for SB Nation's Field Goals website. So if you're a Seahawks fan, that's where you need to go. Um, 
Victor and I work for Bloody Elbow, so you can find our work there. And if you listen to the pre-recorded outro, you will find out where you can listen to this show and all the other great Bloody Elbow Presents podcasts. So until next time, please stay safe. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Level Change Podcast, the MMA Bivis Section, the Sixth Round Post-Fight Show, Sixth Round Retro, the MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, Guest Podcasts, the Hey Not The Face Podcast, and radio-style play-by-play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Bloody Elbow Blog, and as always, on BloodyElbow.com.